I'd like to share something with you this morning. Uh, with your permission, I'd like to take a, a, just a, today a break from our, our time in the Gospel of John. There it goes. Take a break in our um, trek through the Gospel of John. And I just felt led to share with you some things that you already know, I believe, but just to encourage you, my, my intention this morning is you know, if there was ever a time in, in the history of the church in this country, it, it is right now. There's an opportunity for us, unlike ever before, because there's a lot of hurting people in the world. Many of you are hurting because of everything that is going on in our country. And, you know, God cares about the spiritual things. He cares about our eternal plan, his eternal plan for us in glory. But he also cares about the very physical things, the very things that are around us. He, he, he cares about the heavenly things, but he also cares about the, the horizontal things, doesn't he? He cares about our life and the things that are going on. And so if there's ever a time that we really need to be serious in our walk with Jesus Christ, it is right now. And I'm going to share some things with you this morning that I, I, I don't mean them to be political. I know you've had enough of that, and honestly, so have I. So there's going to be some things I'm going to share with you this morning. I, did, I really want to just get the facts, okay? Just some facts and how they biblically relate to what we're going through right now. That's my whole purpose here. It's not to be on one side or the other, because to be honest with you, I think the Republicans and the Democrats, they're both messed up, okay? I'm not looking for a utopia with President Trump. I'm not looking for anything like that, or whoever it is, okay? I'm not. I'm looking for Jesus. And we need to be looking for Jesus. Because he is the one that this is all about. Now, don't get me wrong. I care about our country. I'm a patriot. I'm a conservative. And I'm not ashamed to admit it. And so, this morning, I'm going to share some things. And again, if I step on any toes, please understand the spirit behind it. It's not to... It's not to hurt anybody's feelings. I, I, just, I literally uh, scrutinized the best I could the facts. Just give us the facts, ma'am. <laughs> right? Just the facts. How does it relate to what we're going through? And how are we to respond to that? What are we to do as a body? And how are we to be serious more than ever? That's really what this morning is all about. So I'm going to be looking at biblical impl implications of what is happening in our world this morning. And I want to do at least three things. I want to inform you and I want to warn you and exhort you, but also to comfort and encourage you. Okay? Over the last 75 years, some Bible prophecies haven't had, uh, that hadn't been fulfilled yet have been fulfilled or at least partially fulfilled. We know that Jesus, remember, all the prophecies in the Old Testament speaking of his first advent when he came into uh, to be born in the, in the womb of the Virgin Mary, those things have come to pass, haven't they? They've already, it's old news to us. It's, those are things of the past. And he, he did those things very literally and specifically. The Old Testament prophecies concerning Christ's advent have already been fulfilled. But the Bible also speaks of a time yet to come that is yet future to us. And it's a time, unfortunately, coming soon that is not a good time for the earth. The Bible calls it the Great Tribulation Period. We spent a great deal of time in that when we were in Revelation last year. Okay, but the Bible 
also says that during that time, there are going to be certain things that are going to be, that will come to fruition before Jesus comes back physically to the earth. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, you know that the church is removed before that time of great tribulation. We spent quite a deal of time on that, and I think you all know that. The church must be removed before the great tribulation comes. But there are things in that tribulation that are coming that are already very present with us today. And if that is the case, then how close are we? Let me suggest to you that we're very close. I don't know the time. We can't nail dates down. I mean, that's just foolishness. Jesus told us that. But if we're beginning to see those things now, we have to understand that the Lord is preparing his bride And I believe he wants to prepare us for his coming for us in the rapture of the church to take us off of the earth that we would be with him. Do you understand? At the rapture, he's not coming to the earth. We are going to be taking from the earth to meet him. But the Bible says that at the end of that seven-year tribulation period that we will come back with him to Jerusalem and we will rule and reign with him for a thousand years. The Bible calls it, well, a thousand-year reign. We call it the millennium. And it gets better than that after the thousand years, trust me. That, that, that's, I'm looking forward to being off this earth, to be honest with you, and having a new heavens and a new earth where indwells righteousness forever. But I'm looking forward to that time. But the Bible tells us that these things are coming. And so my hope today is just to kind of wake us up, to wake me up. I need to be awakened. And if I do, I'm sure that you probably do too. We need to be sober-minded We need to have our eyes wide open and our hearts willing to be changed. Are you willing to be changed this morning? And don't just nod your head because you're in a Christian church. Really, seriously, we need to be changed. We need my whole perspective, my whole life, my whole heart's attitude needs to change. And yours probably does too. And so this morning, that's what we're going to look at. Over the last 75 years, again, some of these prophecies that hadn't been fulfilled, are either being fulfilled or at least partially fulfilled. And you may be asking, well, what prophecies? Well, specifically, 73 years ago, on May 14th, uh, 1948, it says that Israel became a nation for the first time, fulfilling at least partially the prophecies of Ezekiel 36 and 37. If you haven't read those two chapters, I'd encourage you to read them in their entirety. Because there's a lot there, but one of the things it speaks to is that God is going to bring his people back into the land. And when Ezekiel wrote this, he was in Babylon in the 7th century B.C. He was still in Babylon with the remnant of Israel when he wrote this prophecy. So he was speaking of a time yet future to them at that time. And prophecy often is fulfilled in, in, in different fulfillments and ultimately a final fulfillment, a partial fulfillment and then a full fulfillment. And we know that Cyrus, remember, he led them out of, or he told them to go back into their land, and they began to rebuild their temple after it was destroyed by the Babylonians. That was a partial fulfillment. But then you fast forward another thousand or so years, uh, nearly uh, quite a long time, (laughs) and then in 1948, God brings them back into their land again. On May 14th, 1948, they become a nation again. No other country has done that. No other people group has ever done that. Been out and dispersed from their homeland for over 2,000 years and then all of a sudden come back and they're still able to maintain their identity, their national languages, the, the, the sacrifices, all those kinds of things. 
They have. And they, they, there's no one like that in the planet. You can do history. There's no one who's, that's ever, it's never happened before. It's never happened before. And then ultimately, we know this scripture, these prophecies, and I'm going to briefly read to you, will be fulfilled in the millennial reign, which is yet future to us, when they will finally be united with the church. And some of them will make up the church. But they will be restored to their land once again, finally and completely in the millennium. Let me just read a couple of them to you. In Ezekiel chapter 36, the Lord tells Ezekiel, he says, Therefore prophesy concerning the land of Israel and say to the mountains, the hills, and the rivers, and the valleys, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I have spoken in my jealousy and my fury, because you have borne the shame of the nations. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I have raised my hand in an oath that surely the nations that are around you shall bear their own shame. But you, O mountains of Israel, you shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people Israel, for they are about to come. They are about to come. And certainly they did come in a partial fulfillment when they left Babylon But it didn't describe this completely, this prophecy. But when they came back in 1948, the land started to bud forth. And today, you go to Israel, and there's fruit trees, everything. It's amazing. They're exporting fruit to other places. remember being down in Florida, and we were getting mangoes. Not from Florida. We're getting them from Israel. (laughs) They can grow everything. And then it goes on in verse 24 and 28. It says of that same chapter, For I will take you from among the nations. I will gather you out of all countries and bring you into your own land. And then I will sprinkle you with clean water and you shall be clean and I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and your idols. I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh, give you a heart of flesh. I will take the heart of stone, excuse me, out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will gather, or excuse me, you will keep my judgments and do them, and then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your forefathers. Okay? And then finally, in verse 37, chapter 37, it says, Prophesy to them, thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves, bring you into the land of Israel, and then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. I will put my spirit in you, and, shall, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land, and then you shall know that I, Jehovah God, have spoken it and performed it, thus says the Lord God. And God has performed that, and he's even going to fulfill it again in the millennial reign. But isn't that exciting? You know, C.I. Schofield, many of you have a Schofield Bible? He died in 1921, and in, in his commentaries throughout the Bible, you'll notice that when it talks about this kind of thing about Israel coming back in the land, he knew nothing of it. Because he died in 1921. This didn't happen until 1948. You, get, you follow me? And so in, just in the last 73 years, we have seen this come to pass. So what about um, 42 years ago? There was an Iranian revolution. Remember uh, that the Iranian revolution began in 1979 under the leadership of the Ayatollah Khomeini. You remember that? And this regime is increasingly a partner with Russia and other Islamic states. And why is this significant? Because these nations have never been allies. Russia and Iran have never been allies, ever. And now, 42 years ago, they were and are. And their, their relationship is growing even stronger. So this is the first time that this has happened in history. 
And this means that the events of Ezekiel 38 and 39 that talk about this battle between Gog and Magog and Persia, which is Iran, and Gog is Russia, we believe. They've never been like this, and now they are, and now they are. So this is eminent, and this is plausible based on the way things are working now in the geopolitical landscape. It's happening right before our eyes. So what do we do with this information? These things, these prophecies that the Bible has said within the last 75 years. And now let's fast forward just to a few years ago and a year and a half ago. We saw and I'm going to share with you my opinion. You may not agree with me and that's okay. I'm entitled to an opinion. Am I not? But I'm going to share with you an opinion and you may not agree and that's okay. Um, But these, uh, in the last year and a half we've seen some really radical things happening in our country. And, and uh, although it is pretty disturbing, we also know that God has a plan. He's allowing a plan. He's allowing a plan. and He's told us in advance what it is, so we don't need to worry. It is disconcerting. It, is hard, it hurts to see it. And it's alarming. And we should be alarmed, but we should also take great comfort that God knows what he's doing and that ultimately he is in control. Nobody in the Middle East. Nobody in our country, no, no, none of this deep state or the you know, powers that be that are pulling the strings. But I believe that COVID-19 was a, um, I believe that we are being invaded by radical humanists <laughs> in our country. And I also believe that they're seeking to destabilize and change our constitutional republic to a socialist form of government via cultural Marxism. I believe that with all of my heart. In fact, I believe COVID virus was not only just a virus, but it was actually determined and planned and delivered at the right time before the 2020 election. I believe that. And I may be wrong, but I believe it was strategic. They've been planning this for a long time. There is a a book that is really interesting. It's called En Route to Global Occupation. It's a book by Gary Kaw. And this book was written in 1992. And let me just read you a few things out of it. He, uh, just so you know who he is, <clears throat> excuse me, he's a high-ranking government liaison, and he warns that national sovereignty will soon be a thing of the past, and political forces around the world are now cooperating in unprecedented fashion to achieve their goal of uniting the people of this planet under a new world order. And because of this background, because of his background in government, Gary Kaw was invited to join the World Constitution and Parliament Association, overseeing the planning and implementation of the one world government. And for the skeptical observer, the material in this book should serve as ample evidence that the drive to create a one world government is for real, including reproduction of the original WCPA documents. The author further demonstrates that there is an ominous cooperation between the globalists who are promoting the one world government and the burgeoning New Age groups who are promoting a new religion. And if our countrymen do not begin to resist this global government, sovereign nations will cease to exist and a single economic global system will be established. This was written in 1992, nearly 30 years ago. And I'd like to read to you a few excerpts, and then we'll move on. And why am I bringing this up? To share with you that even back in 1992, this was very much well-known. It's been happening. It's been happening. And this is going to be alarming, okay? But I promise there's light at the end of this tunnel that we're talking about. And I want to get to that. I want to encourage you. But this is going to shake you a little bit if you haven't heard it already. But we need to wake up, folks. Time is short. It is very short. Let me read to you. A couple of things. The Rear Admiral, and this is an excerpt from this book, 
The Rear Admiral Chester Ward, a former Council on Foreign Relations member for 16 years, he warned the American people of the organization's intentions, and I quote him here. He says, The most powerful clique in this elitist groups have one objective in common. They want to bring about the surrender of the sovereignty and the national independence of the United States. A second clique of international members of the CFR comprise the Wall Street international bankers and their key agents. Primarily, they want the the world banking monopoly from, they want to, um, excuse me, they want the world banking monopoly. From whatever power ends up in control of global government. I think I just lost my connection. Okay. So we're going to have to <laughs> forego that. So, and Dan Smoot, a former member of the FBI headquarters, he said this. He says, the ultimate aim of the Council on Foreign Relations is to create a one-world socialist system and make the United States an official part of it. This, of course, will all be done in the name of democracy. Does that sound familiar? Does it sound like it's happening? And this was almost 30 years ago. Okay? Almost 30 years ago. Congressman John Rarick, deeply concerned over the growing influence of the Council on Foreign Relations, has been one of the members of the, in Congress making a concerted effort to expose this organization. And he wrote this, The Council on Foreign Relations, dedicated to one world government, financed by a member of the largest tax-exempt foundations, and wielding such power and influence over our lives in the areas of finance, business, labor, military, education, and mass communication media, should be familiar to every American concerned with good government and with preserving and defending the U.S. Constitution and free enterprise system. Yet the nation's right-to-know machinery, the news media, usually so aggressive in exposures to inform our people, remain conspicuously silent when it comes to this, its members and their activities. And I find that few university students know about this. And he goes on, and I just want to read one final thing, um, and then we'll, we'll wrap that up. On February 17, 1950, a CFR member, James Warburg, said this, testifying before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. He stated, We shall have world government whether or not you like it, by conquest or consent. And so these things are happening. So, again, is that to alarm you? It, it, does, it is alarming. It's in informing you of, of, of these things. And, of course, we don't need to be fearful. In his book by, uh, called The um, uh, Approaching Armageddon, Ed Henson wrote this concerning Revelation 13, which we're going to get into in just a few moments. He says, We also learn that this passage, that the world of the last days will involve three interconnected elements, global economy, world government, and world religion. Ironically, the entire system is driven by global economy, the Antichrist does not have to conquer the world by force. He only needs to control the communication systems that make it run. And Peter Lalonde wrote this. He says, It is breathtaking to realize that we are witnessing today in the emergence of the new world order may well be a fulfillment of Revelation 13. In the world's rejection of the true Prince of Peace and in their rush to build their own earthly kingdom, the Antichrist government is being fashioned for him. And that was written 24 years ago. So we are very close to these things. 
And so it behooves us to wake up. It behooves us to wake up. I remember last year, around this time, on October 11th, I remember, and this was before our election happened, I made this statement. I says, but know this, if Donald Trump loses the election, our country, I believe, will go rapidly in the direction of socialism and into the direction of global occupation, thus prepared like a gift for the Antichrist when, this, when his time comes. And I think we knew it back then, we know it even more now. Nikki Haley, from, she was the, uh, 29th, um, the, the uh, 29th United States ambassador to the United Nations. She wrote this. She says, Khrushchev, 60 years ago, and I'm quoting her, Nikita Khrushchev, 60 years ago, said this. He says, your children's children, speaking to America, will live under communism. You Americans are so gullible. No, you won't accept communism outright, but we will keep feeding you small doses of socialism until you will finally wake up and find you already have communism. So it's time for us to wake up. And that's just looking at the signs of the times. That's just looking at the things that are happening, right? And there are more things. You know, in order for this to come to pass, the United States has to be destabilized. It has to be destabilized politically, socially, and economically. And some of the hallmarks of that destabilization are happening, and they've been, they've been going like a freight train over the last year and a half. Let me just reacquaint you with some of these things. And, and again, I'm, uh, this is for a reason that I'm sharing this with you, because it's just putting before us the very things that are true. I'm not trying to sway anybody politically. I'm just giving you the facts. And these are the facts. <laughs> Many of the actions that have taken place politically seem like a bad dream lately. They make no sense. I don't care if it's a Republican who's in office or a Democrat or an Independent. The decisions that are being made are ludicrous. They make no sense whatsoever. They defy logic. They defy natural instincts. There's something really wrong. <laughs> there's something really wrong. And there's policies and actions that stir up racial tensions, uh, uh, critical race theory. We've all seen that. Now, I'm all for, you know, uh, there's been so many things that have happened to African Americans in the past, and I don't want to discount that. Those things were very real, and they're horrible, and they should have never happened. But where was the church when all that was happening? Were we asleep? Really, where were we? During the segregation and all that nonsense. Those people, no, no one deserves that. This should have never happened. But critical race theory is not the solution. In fact, in my opinion, my humble opinion, I think it's actually accelerated. Now they're telling white kids in schools that you are just a racist because you're white. And you should apologize for being white. And they don't even know what it is yet. They're being taught this stuff. I got all kinds of articles and things. that I read. It's, it's ludicrous. Many, even, uh, many black congressmen and senators are very against the whole thing, too, because they, they know that it's not a solution. It's actually stirring up things and making things worse. And I'm so blessed in our country that we had an African-American president. I didn't agree with his policies, but I'm so blessed that he, he was installed in the White House, so blessed that we have, have gone in a, in, a, in a good place in that regard, that that could happen. I'm so blessed, so thankful for that. 
But the removal of national monuments are happening every day, it seems, and these things are necessary for us to forget about our past. Our children will never know those monuments, and what do they stand for? And there's a reason behind that, and they're taking them away so that they can move forge forward in this new world government. It has to, our past has to be erased, and we have to be fed new information. And your kids in the, in the public schools are being fed this stuff. They're being taught it, and we need to stand up and say something about it. And what about the lawlessness on the streets? You know, the defunding of the police, Portland, Oregon, is probably the best example when the radicals took over that whole thing. You remember that? They had barricades. They, they set up shop, and, and the police did nothing. And now, even now, they're pillaging and burning and rioting, and the police are told to stand down. <laughs> Many of these businesses who have been around for generations, bomb-and-pop stores, been going on for generations. They're being trashed and looted and burned, and there's nothing they can do about it. And even the police officers are told by their, their governors to stand down and do nothing. That's a fact, and that's horrible. Romans 13 tells us that these people were designed, they were created for this purpose of defending. And they want to defund the police. I don't care if it's a Republican who says that. I don't care if it's a Martian who says that. It is ludicrous. Ludicrous. And the wholesale federal government deception right now being propagated by the mainstream media and big tech, Twitter and Facebook, they have all, it's amazing to me, and then the evasion of the invasion of LGBTQ and that whole agenda into the school system, the gender war that's going on. Hey, listen, God loves all those people. He loves all of them, and he's not angry with them. But they, we are all sinners. And there's a great deception. Little kids, third and fourth grade, don't even know much about anything. And their parents, because their parents are buying into this, drinking this Kool-Aid, they are being told that their kid, because he's going through a stage, now all of a sudden they're injecting their sons with estrogen and all these other things to, to make them a female when he's biologically a male. He'll work it out. Just give him a few years. He's going to work it out. He's going to change. All of us went through similar things, and we're fine. We're married. We have kids. We know that what we are. But that sta- unstable time in a child's development is very unstable, and there's no reason for anybody to rush in with medication and shots to make them something other than what they are. And then the unconstitutional vaccine mandates. I'm not opposed to the vaccine. I got vaccinated. But is it right for them to force them to people? There's people in this fellowship right now whose jobs are either lost or on the line because for various reasons they are not comfortable with it. It's not ready for prime time. I think it's very obvious through the science and the data, that this thing is not ready for prime time quite yet. We've never had this happen so quickly in a, in a, in a, vi, in a, in a vaccine. In, in, I mean, it wasn't anybody's fault. I mean, I know our former president wanted to get that out for good reasons. But you know what? It just, it's proven itself not to be as good as it could be. Maybe some time needs to be. But in the meantime, why are people losing their jobs? Why are people losing their pensions and their retirement over this? It's about control. That's what it's about. And you know that. The stripping away of our freedoms and rights. These steps follow the tenets of Marxism. So we need to wake up. Now, am I proposing that we uh, get weird and grab all of our guns and go march? No, I'm not. Okay? I, please understand, I'm not saying that. 
But what I am saying is that we need to be prayers. We need to be on our knees and be, be praying. And we need to open our eyes and support those families and, and local schools that are those mothers and fathers. We need to support them in whatever way we can. Does the Bible speak? Now, the reason I bring this up, it is disconcerting, it's uneasy, and I get it. But does the Bible speak of a one-world government? It does. Open your Bibles to Revelation 17. I may be going a little bit longer today, so bear with me. There were some things I wanted to share with you that I'm not going to be able to share with you because of a glitch that we're having, but that's life. (laughs) And I accept that. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 17. Let's just look at the first three verses of this. Now, this is speaking of a time during the Great Tribulation period, which is about to come upon the earth after the church is removed. So this doesn't pertain to us, church, in the sense of what's happening at that time. But notice what it says. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls came and talked with me, John said, saying to me, Come, and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. This harlot is the false religious system of the last days, which is in formation as we speak, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away into the spirit, into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And you may ask, well, what are those seven heads and ten horns? Go down to verse 7, and, and the Bible interprets itself. The angel said to me, Why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns, the beast that you saw and is not and and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth, and that, of course, is speaking of the Antichrist, and those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they see the beast that was and is not, because he's going to suffer a assassination attempt, and he will be brought back to life, and yet is. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits, and there are also seven kings. So it has a double meaning there. Five have fallen, and one is, and the other has not yet come. And that other that has not yet come is certainly the Antichrist. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. And the beast that was and is not, speaking of the Antichrist, is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. Now, there's a lot of stuff in there we don't have time to go over, but look at verse 12. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings, this is important, underline this, have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast, and these are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast, who we know as the Antichrist. And that is going to be a brief moment in history where there will be a full-fledged one-world government under one specific man, one leader from Europe, who is going to rule the world. He's going to allow the Jews to build their temple in Jerusalem. And three and a half years into that tribulation period, he's going to allow them, and or he's going to allow them at the beginning of it, but at the three and a half year mark, he's going to set up an image of himself, and he's going to demand to be worshipped. And that's where the Jews are going to have a big problem. But what about a one-world religion? Turn with me to Revelation 13. Now again, I'm just being factual with you. I share with you the things that are, that are happening, that have been in formation, 
and what the Bible has to say about them. I don't, I don't really want to get political, although I've said a few political things, but it's, if, if it fits what the Bible is saying, isn't it worth talking about? I mean, honestly, I mean, the things that are happening right now are in the Bible, so why can't we talk about them from time to time? And I'm bringing it up now because we are in a very precarious position in our country, and I believe that God wants to wake us up and I believe he wants the church to get serious about their relationship with him. Not to be go scouring in the internet and Twitter and YouTube and all that nonsense, but to get their eyes focused on him. He is what is important. Jesus is what's important. And your people that you love, your family, your spouses, your kids, your grandkids, those are the important things. Those are the important things we need to really get right right now and hold on to those things and foster those things and strengthen those things and forget about all the other stuff. God's got it under control, but we need to be praying and we need to have our hearts broken and the Lord to just infuse his love into us for everyone, especially those who don't know about these things. We need to tell them the truth. Whether they're Republican, Democrat, or independent, it doesn't matter. There's hurting people, and God wants to reach them. But these things are real. They're happening. They're happening. Notice in Revelation 13, what about a one-world religion? Does the Bible talk about that? Yes, it does. In, in verse 5 of Revelation 13, it says that this, uh, speaking of the Antichrist, or the beast as he is called, he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue 42 months. And then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and guess what? Those that dwell in heaven, that's you and I. <laughs> when this happens, we're going to be in glory with him. We'll already be raptured. He's going to be blaspheming God, his temple, and everyone in heaven. <laughs> and we're going to be there. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Right? And notice, and all authority was given him over every tongue and nation, and all who dwell on the earth, notice this, underline this, star this, all who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Does that sound like a one-world religion? All will worship him. And they will do it under pain of death. You think the vaccines are bad. If you don't get your vaccine, you're going to lose your job and your pension. There's going to come a time when, if you don't bow down your knee to him, you will be killed. But thank God, if you're a member of the church, you're not going to be here for that. Look down at verse 11 now, speaking now of the false prophet, this beast from the earth. It says, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. The, the dragon, obviously, is the devil. We know that. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it. Notice, he causes all of the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, the beast of the sea, the Antichrist, and the image of him. And notice, whose deadly wound was healed, and he performs great signs, this, this, this false prophet, he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. And notice, he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. There it is. 
It's, it's, it, these, these are things that are going to happen. Do you remember John Lennon's song, Imagine? Back in 1971, he wrote a song called Imagine. In the light of everything, let me read the first few lyrics of this song. And even back in the 70s, there was already a, uh, a process in place. The spirit of Antichrist was moving. And he's moving through musicians easier than anybody else. I don't know what it is about musicians, but they, you know, they're just so easy to use them. They're, oh, that's so great, man. You know, and they have this, I got this great lick, you know, got this great idea. You know, and they write it down. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for, and no religion, too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say that I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. Imagine no possessions. (laughs) I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. Sounds really nice, doesn't it? It's the spirit of Antichrist. Preparing minds and hearts, singing that song over and over again for what's coming yet ahead of us, right? Now, let's fast forward to just last March. You remember um, there was a move to when we had our first stimulus plan. Do you remember that? Is there a one-world digital currency and economy coming? Oh, it's right on the doorstep. So we've talked about a one-world government, a one-world religion. Is there a one-world digital currency and economy coming? You bet there is. Back in um, March 29th of 2020, uh, there was a a thing in Forbes magazine, and the title was, Congress Flirts with Digital Dollar, Crypto's Hiring Boom. And it says the crypto community was a buzz Monday night where it leaked a draft of the economic stimulus bill proposed by Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi introducing a digital dollar as a ways to deliver payments directly to the U.S. citizens. Do you remember when that, when that happened? And it got shot down by, the, by other, other members of, of Congress. Okay? But, but the intent was to get that in place. And, and, uh, and, and so they are ready to do this. The powers that be in the banks, they're ready to do this. They're just waiting for the right time and they'll flip the switch. And they're ready to do it, and they're ready to take it on. And um, as a way to deliver payments directly to U.S. citizens, the next day, the same language surfaced in a Senate bill introduced by Ohio Democrat Sherrod Brown. The con- and I'm reading verbatim here from Forbes magazine. The concept would have required the Federal Reserve's member banks to open and maintain digital dollar wallets for all customers. The digital dollar didn't make it into the final stimulus package passed by Congress by the end of the week, but the flirtations signaled that the U.S. has officially entered an increasingly heated race between the advanced projects at several central banks around the world to be the first to issue this kind of new currency, a project managed by the Hyperledger consortium called eThaler that aims to create a central bank digital currency on the Ethereum blockchain. I don't know what any of that means. You do. But I, I certainly don't. Um, Chris is an investor. He, he, he knows what I'm talking about here. Suddenly takes on a more importance. And, and then this is what was spoken. That's a significant step, and I argue that such crisis, that such crisis situations always produce new ideas and acceptance of new ideas that will live on long after the coronavirus has burned through the world, said the chairman of this Hyperledger Identity Working Group. So these things are happening. They're happening. Even back as far as 19, I'm sorry, 2002 in the United Kingdom, in Britain, 
There was a, an article back in September 3 on CNN. It says this. It says, A worried UK parents are asking to have tracking microchips implanted into their children following the murders of two 10-year-old girls, a cyber, uh, genetics, uh, cybernetics expert says. And it says that um, scientist Kevin Warwick from Reading University, west of London, says parents can keep track of their children with a tiny microchip implant in their arm or stomach. Such a chip could prevent an abduction from becoming a murder. And so all of these things are, are encouraging people to do this sort of thing. And technologically, we're already there. You remember, I was going to show you the video, but we're having some problems here. But remember that video that I showed of you of, uh, of what they're doing in Sweden they have these chip parties, and they actually implant the chip under their hand. I've got a video for you, and it, and it showed them doing it. Showed them, and the people in Sweden are all excited about this, and especially the young people who don't know the Bible. And again, it's just, am I saying that that is the mark of the beast? No, it is not. But is it preparation? Oh, you better believe it is. It is conditioning. It is right on the door, and they're going to take to it like a fish to water when, when there's a mark that comes out, and it's going to be, uh, a stamp or some kind of tattoo. I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be on the skin, on the right hand or the forehead, and it's going to allow you to um, do things digitally and electronically. And once it's digital, then it's easy to flip the switch for all the banks. Once it's digital, there's no stopping it at that point. It's going to be... So there is a one-world economy coming. And why do you think our president right now and other presidents from other countries just a few days ago are over in Europe, what are they discussing? I would imagine that some of it is this. And notice that he, our president went to the Vatican first. I thought that was interesting. But don't believe me. What does the Bible say? Again, I'm being biblical here in this context. Look at me with Revelation verse 13, verse 16. Notice this, this false prophet, notice what it says, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may, listen to this, no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here's wisdom, let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is a number of a man, his number is 666. And so we know that that is coming. So we looked at a one-world government, a one-world religion, and a one-world digital economy coming. The Bible's been speaking about it for hundreds of years, even a couple thousand years. And now things are coming, and they're at a theater near us. They're happening before our eyes. Within the last 73 years, and it's been going on for quite a while, building and building and building, and now it's here before us. What more does it take for us, the church, even the non-believer in Jesus Christ to say, I mean, can anybody look at these things and say, oh, this is a bunch of nonsense? I'm just looking at the Bible and, and looking at through the lens of Scripture, looking at all the things that are happening. Again, I don't care if you're a Republican or Democrat. You look at all this, and I'd be saying this if there was a Republican in the White House. I really would because I don't care who's in the White House. These things are happening. And I'm not labeling anybody and making anybody, you know, to be the, the, the devil or the bad guy. Don't misunderstand me. These things are happening. It doesn't matter who's doing it, who's involved in it, who's un, unknown, unbeknownst uh, getting involved in it. Do you, do you follow me? But here's finally the exhortation. In Luke chapter 12, 
verse 54. Jesus speaking, he says, Then he also said to the multitudes, Now, I'm not speaking this to you, okay, but he was speaking this to his disciples. But notice what he said. Whenever you see a cloud rising, he speaks to the multitudes. When you see it rising out of the west... Immediately you say a shower is coming, and so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say there will be hot weather, and there is. He says, hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that you not discern this time? Now, I'm not calling you hypocrites. I'm not. Jesus called his disciples hypocrites. But sometimes this shoe fits on me pretty well because (laughs) I don't believe what the Bible says. I don't, I don't interpret what's happening in the world through a biblical lens. We have to do that. That's the only thing we can do. It's the only safe thing to do is to interpret through this lens, not the lens through CNN or Fox News or Twitter or Facebook. Be careful of that. And YouTube, there's so much false information on there, so much uh, junk. Some of it can be true, but there's a lot of mess. It's a mess. It's a mess. Anybody confess that it's a mess? Let's all say it together. It's a mess. Thank you. I feel somewhat, I feel confirmed now. Oh, okay. <laughs> but notice, in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, I love what uh, it says there. It's describing David's army while he was still at Hebron before he became king over all of Israel. But one thing I wanted to share with you is of the different tribes of Israel and the men that came from those different tribes to make up his army, it says in verse 32, of 1 Chronicles 12, it says, of the sons of Issachar who had understanding of the times. He marks these guys out specifically. They were the sons of Issachar who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Now you may be asking me, what are we to do? I don't have a clue. <laughs> I'm only kidding. I, I do have a clue, and I'm going to share that with you. And again, I'm going I'm, I'm to be a little bit longer here, and forgive me. Turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24. Chapter 24. We know this as the Olivet Discourse, when Jesus spoke to his disciples about the coming end times. And one of the things that Jesus said, now we're not going to read this entire chapter, we're just going to take a few spots out of it and go on, okay? But I notice what it says in verse 4. It says, Jesus, because they asked him, saying, tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus didn't answer all those questions, but he did say this. He says, verse 4, he says, take heed that no one deceives you. Deception will be a hallmark of the last times. Are we seeing deception now? Is it just me? I I literally went through, I believe, a minor psychosis, seriously, about a year and a half ago. I couldn't believe what was happening. I felt like everything was lying to me. The media, all of a sudden, it it was like I couldn't believe what was happening. And it will come to, I I think if the Lord wills, he'll bring it to pass. He'll, He'll expose that. I don't know. That's up to him. But I was so unrattled because I never knew that this would happen on my watch. (laughs) That these things would happen so quickly, so rapidly on my watch. Jesus said, Take heed that no man deceive you. He said in verse 7, For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilences. Are we seeing pestilences? You better believe it. That's what this whole thing has been about. And it's not over yet. We've got many more waves of this to go, I believe. Hmm. 
and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginning of sorrows. And notice in verse 12, and because of lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And there's my plea to all of you. Don't let your love grow cold. I was so glad that Sarah chose that song because I find myself, my heart can get cold. Do you, do you follow with me? Do you find that your heart can get cold? You get angry and you get frustrated and, and unfortunately we don't do the right thing with that heart. We don't, we don't settle it before the Lord. We don't get right before him. And, and our heart can get cold and it can get hard. Don't let it get there, folks. We have the truth. We have the only resource this world really needs. The Spirit of God in us wants us to love and to, you know, and to, um, to be compassionate and not get in these bitter, batters, bitter battles. Bitter paddles, bitter... Um, the Lord doesn't want us to get in these Twitter battles, these Facebook battles. I would encourage you to just get off all of it. Get off all Just cut it. Just get it out of your life and be at peace, for heaven's sakes. Give yourself some peace. Cut the stuff out of your life. Don't get involved in that nasty stuff. If you can't say anything nice on any of those things, then just get off of it. Can I just be blunt? Seriously. But Jesus goes on, and here's the exhortation. Now, I know that this is speaking of the last days, even further than where we're at now, but I believe the exhortation is still applicable to us today. What did Jesus say to his disciples? He says, verse 42, in that same chapter, Watch, therefore, for you do not know what your hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. And then he goes into, in verse 45, he says, So who in, who then is that faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you, that he will make him ruler over all of his goods. Now, what does that speak of? Doesn't it speak of stewardship? Isn't that really what it speaks of? It speaks of stewardship, of our own hearts, of our families, of our communities, of our church, of our communities. It speaks of stewardship. And we need to be sure that the gospel is the most important thing that we share with people. That needs to be front and center. It needs to be more over, over all of the politics and over all the stuff that we're even talking about today. It needs to be the central and core thing that we share with people. But that doesn't mean that we forget about everything else that's going on in this world. Because guess what? If the Lord tarries, our children, our grandchildren are going to inherit this stuff. And it's, we, we need to stand up as well and care for this on this plane and then also this plane. We need to do it all at once. We need to care about the spiritual well-being of people, and ourselves included, but we also need to care about our communities and the things that are happening in our schools. We've been quiet for way too long. When will the church wake up? When will we let our voice be heard peacefully and peaceably, not rising up with AK-47s and putting on our NRA hats? Believe me, I, 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 I get a kick out of that, but I'm not into that. We can't go about this in some kind of you know, military way. But we need to let our voice be heard, and we need to stand up and say something. We need to love people, right? So what are we to do? I just jotted on a few things, and maybe you'll agree with me. In light of all that, what are we to do? Draw near to Jesus. 
Draw near to him, worship him, study his word, live and be an example in all godliness to the believer and to the unbeliever. That's what we need to do. We need to be faithful parents and spouses. We need to be faithful spouses. That means that we're not guys that we're not looking at porn and doing all these other things. We need to cut that stuff out of our life. The time is short. We need to be faithful to our wives, women, ladies. You need to be faithful to your husbands, and we need to be faithful to our families to be a faithful mom and dad, to do the right things for their benefit so that they can grow up as long as the Lord tarries, that they can grow up in a place where we can say, you know what, we've done everything we can and we should do everything we can to provide for them, right? We need to stand for righteousness in all areas of our life. Every single area of our life, we need to stand for truth and righteousness, right? We need to serve the Lord in our homes, our communities, our local fellowship. Here, are you serving? Do you want to uh, serve here? There's plenty of things to do. There's, there, there's a lot of things. We, we could use a lot of help. There are always things to do. But make your voice known and do it peaceably. We don't go out into the streets and create anarchy. We're not anarchists. We are the church of the living God. We are the church of Christ, the bride of Christ. And is it easy? No, it requires prayer, doesn't it? In Romans 13, verse 11, Paul said this to the Romans. He says, and do this, knowing the time that now it is high time. And he said this in the first century to the Romans. It is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. And there's the the, the encouragement and the exhortation to all of us in the church. Cast off the works of darkness. Many of us have things that we're doing that we shouldn't be doing. And we've been doing it for many years. We need to turn from those things and we need to repent. The church, we need to repent of all this stuff. I need to repent. Let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put off the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, nor in, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. But notice this, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that. And make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Oh my gosh. That's what we need to do. We need to do that. We need to be doing these things. We need to take these things serious. There's no longer any more time. No longer any more time The time is short, folks. We've got a little bit of time left. I don't know how much time, but I'm looking at things, and we've looked at these things, and there are some some more things I could have shown you that would have just alarmed you a little bit better. Not that I want to do that, but sometimes, are you like me where sometimes I just need to be shaken a little bit and, and slapped around a little bit and like, oh, okay, wait, what's going on? Because I've fallen asleep. I'm not saying that any of you have, but I have. And sometimes I need a little shaking. I need somebody to take a pail of cold water and dump it on my head. But time is short. What did Job say? He said, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. Oh, remember that my life is a breath. <laughs> and Isaiah says this, chapter 40, verse 6, The voice said, Cry out. And he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. 
It's just a vapor. What does James tell us? He says, come now and you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a, a year there and buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas, verse 14, you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a short time and then vanishes away. I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more time just seems to be fleeting out in front of me that I can't stop. When I was a teenager, I thought I had all the time in the world. I thought I was immortal. Didn't you? Remember that? When you thought you, you, you could go up to the, climb a tree up the top, and your parents were like, ah, oh, what are you doing? And you're like, I'm immortal. I won't die. I can jump off. I can fly. Watch, Bob. Ah! I got some really interesting stories, too. But I thought I had all the time in the world, and now the older I get, it seems like every year that I, that, I, that I go forward one more year, it's almost like the elevator's picking up pace. The elevator's picking up pace. <laughs> in Psalm 90, I would encourage you to read it, but Moses wrote a psalm, and at the, in verse 12 of Psalm 90, he says, So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Gain a heart of wisdom. How are you using your time? What are you doing with it? Are your hobbies overtaking everything in your life so that you're no longer worried about priorities? Or do you have any priorities in your life? Make sure that everything you do is, is deliberate. Make sure that everything we do has a purpose for, for, for the glory of God. Make sure that it's purposeful, that it's deliberate, because if we don't, you know what happens? It just skates out ahead of us. Time will take over, life will take over, and you'll just be doing things to satisfy your checkoff list, and none of that stuff may be the thing that God wants you to do or be concerned about. But be purposeful and be deliberate in everything that you do. Learn to uh, give your, be disciplined in that way. I need that too, be honest with you. I'm, I'm, I'm pointing my finger at you, but I got three pointing back at me, right? I need that too. I need to be disciplined. This is a time to be disciplined, I can no longer just sit back on the couch and think that everything's going to be okay. No, I need to be praying. I need to be involved. I need to be active in my family and in my church, everywhere I, where I'm at, in my, in my job. I can't just be going on autopilot. Have you been on autopilot? I've been on autopilot. I'll be honest with you. I've been on autopilot. But keep your heart with all diligence. What does it say in Proverbs? For out of it springs forth the issues of life. So what are our priorities? Your walk and your relationship with God. That's the priority. And then your spouse and your family. And then guess what? Everything else after that. That's our priority. Share with your family. You can read Deuteronomy 6. We don't have time to go through it. I know I'm, 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 I'm um, frustrating grace, maybe, by uh, taking you a few more minutes afterwards. But I want to end with this. If you are not born again this morning... Being born again is when the Spirit of God indwells you. And it's something that God does. All of these things that we've talked about have probably got you a little bit nervous. Hopefully not too nervous. But remember, God is in control. He told us in advance. Isn't that what a good shepherd does? Wasn't that what we were talking about the last three weeks? The good shepherd? He's the good shepherd. He told us the beginning and the ending so that we could read these things and we wouldn't be freaked out and worried we could look at this and say, okay, God, I'm so thankful that you know the end from the beginning. I can rest now, and I don't, have to be, I don't have to worry and stress about things. The world doesn't know that. They're stressed and freaking out because they don't know what's coming. 
And maybe if they knew, they'd be a little more stressed. I don't know. But they, they need to come to Christ. But that's why it's so necessary to be born again. What does it tell us in Romans 10? There is no distinction between Jew and Gentile, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Call upon the Lord and be saved. If you're not one of his, be one of his. He loves you with a, with a fierce love and a fierce compassion, and a fierce grace. He, he's, he's jealous over you. I love that. He's jealous over you. When I think of jealousy, I think of the man who's got a crowbar is going after the man who's looking at his wife. But God says, I got a jealous for you. I'm jealous for you. I love you. I created you with a purpose, and I want you to know what that purpose is. I want you to thrive. I want you to live abundantly. Oh, God has such a great plan for all of us. That he would even go to a man like Nicodemus, a very religious man. It tells us in John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus said to this very religious man, Most assuredly I say unto you, Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He will go into the fifth verse and say, Unless one is born again, he cannot even see the kingdom of God. And this was a very religious man that he was speaking to. We need to be born from above. We need to be born again. You have to receive. He said you must be born again. Do you notice it wasn't a question? You must be born again? No, it was a statement. You must be born again. You must. I don't know about you, but I want to go to heaven. Anybody here want to go to hell? Oh, good. I'm just glad. I got you. Saw that. Saw that. Well, you guys got quick reflexes. I better watch it around you. And here's the final thing, and we'll end here, okay? We need to be filled with the Spirit of God. If you're born again this morning, you need to be filled with the Spirit of God. Over and over in the book of Acts, even Jesus, after his resurrection and crucifixion, what did he tell his disciples? It's recorded for us in Luke 24, verse 49. It says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. And this is after he breathed on them, and they received the Spirit. When they were born again, They were born again. The Spirit of God was indwelling them. And then he said this, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Notice, the Spirit of God is already in you. But we need something more. We need to be empowered to give us boldness, to give us the strength to withstand the sin in our own life, to to battle sin, to be aware of it, and to not give into it. Anybody need that strength? I need the strength of the Spirit of God to keep me from evil. Without him in my heart... Without him in my life, I was a sitting duck. You were too, believe it or not. And your testimony proves it, right? In the book of Acts, what did it say? But you shall receive Jesus speaking to his disciples. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And that's what we need to be. We need to be ambassadors for Christ. We need to tell people the good news. That's more important than anything that's going on in the world. Now, I shared all those things with you to inform you, to warn you, but now exhort you. Please hear that. And be an exhorter yourself. It's time for the church all across this country to wake up. We must wake up. This is our time. Remember what Mordecai said to his his, uh, his niece, <laughs> Esther, he said, perhaps you've come to such a time as this. Perhaps you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this to, to save the lives of all those Jews who are going to be exterminated 
by Haman. Remember in Esther? Perhaps it is for such a time as this that the church, we rise up, not in some kind of militia. Don't misunderstand me. We're not going out and killing people. We're not going out ridiculing people. We're not going out on Twitter and bashing everybody for all the things that they're saying. Love people. Love people. Encourage them. They don't know the truth. Tell them the truth. Tell them the gospel for heaven's sakes. Live that example. Let us love again. We've become a hateful group. I've become hateful. I'll be honest with you. I'm going to bare my soul this morning. We need to be filled with the Spirit. More than anything right now, I believe that's what God wants. To be filled. To give us boldness. To be honest. With our own hearts. Finally, I'm going to end on one verse. Ephesians 5, verse 18. Thank you for hanging in there. Paul writing to the Ephesians, he said this. He said, And be not drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. We need to be filled with the Spirit of God. I need to be filled with the Spirit of God. I need that boldness to reach people around me that, 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 are, that, are, that are dying in their sin that are getting carried away by all the things that are going on? Do you know people who are in, involving themselves now more in drug activity and extramarital affairs, and they're kind of losing their bearings? They're losing their step. They don't know what they are, who they are, what's going on. And you and I, we have this great treasure in, earth, in an earthen vessel. We have this great treasure, the Spirit of God, giving us this great hope, a blessed hope, it is, a, it is the kind of hope that the world needs, that you and I still need, by the way. It's not easy to go through what we're going through. I've never experienced it. Have any of you? I've talked to older people, you know, men who are much more my senior, and I said, do you remember a time ever in this country where things are happening like they are? And they said, no way. No way. I've never seen anything like this before. And here we are. Here we are, folks. I want to lovingly exhort you to get serious. Bring your heart before God. Repent of your sin in every way that you know. And let's be serious about our walk with him. Let's be serious about getting that message out and getting rid of the hate. The world will know that we are God's disciples, that we are disciples by the love that we have for one another. It never said that they're going to know that we're disciples by how much vehemently we can spit out hatred and vitriol on, on Twitter and Facebook. It goes against the grain of everything we've ever known. That's why we need the Spirit of God upon us. It goes against the grain of what you may be feeling naturally. The, the natural man is a mess, the natural man is a tyrant.
Have you done, have you done business with the tyrant inside? I'm still dealing, doing business with the tyrant, that old nature of mine that just wants to get a pound of flesh. You know what I'm talking about. You just want to let people have it, and you want to correct them. What does that do? More fuel on the flame, more fuel on the flame. But rather, if we are led by the Spirit of God and remember what love is, and let God work in our hearts again, would you do that? with me let's seek him again with all of our heart with all of our soul with all of our strength and don't settle for anything else time is short ask the spirit of God I'm not going to do this we don't I'm not going to do this today but I'm going to ask you privately when you have a moment tonight or tomorrow whenever it is in your time your quiet time you ask God say Lord pour revive me Revive us. Restore us. That's prophecy. That's it. That is it. Let's stand. Ask him, folks. Ask him. He is so willing to give us his spirit upon us and in you. If you're not born again, receive him into your heart as your Lord and Savior. And then after that, ask him to fill you afresh just as you read the first 11 chapters of Acts and see what happened, how the spirit of God operated. It wasn't some button you pressed. It was something you were just walking in the spirit. You were walking and just doing those things that you know are right to do. And when they spoke to certain individuals and to certain crowds of people, the spirit of God He did that. He came upon the individual as they were speaking. Let's put ourselves in positions where that can happen. People at work and say, Lord, please fill me. Please cleanse me. Whenever you want to speak through me, do that work in me and remove any barrier. Remove any barrier. Remove all barriers and use my life for your glory. Father, we just thank you for this time together this morning. And Lord, I pray that I uh, rightly divided your truth. And I pray, Father, that you would just cleanse us. Cleanse me and my brothers and sisters, Lord. Help us to rightly navigate the things that we're going through right now. And it's hard, Lord. It's painful. You know this. You're allowing this for a reason, Lord. Help us to rightly understand what's happening and to rightly respond in a right way. Lord, help us to know how to respond the very best we can. Lord, fill us with your spirit again. And Lord, revive the church. Revive us today, Jesus. Revive me, my brothers and sisters, who you love so much. We thank you for this time. Lord, would you please help us? In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Amen.